there. I'm Sue Alvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 73. And today I'm going to be talking about talents. How can we create the right environment so that our children discover their talents? And today I've got my 21-year-old daughter Imogen with me. We're going to have a good conversation, I hope, about this topic. She's going to share some of her own story and ideas about developing talents. Welcome to my podcast, Imogen. Hi. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this topic is because I was watching a video the other day, a Ken Robinson video. You know who Ken Robinson is, Imogen? Nope. <laughs> he is a, a rather excellent speaker. He's given a number of TED Talks. Education person. Some wonderful ideas about education. Anyway, this is a quote from one of his videos. He said, Talent is often buried. You have to go looking for it and create the conditions for it. And he gave a few examples. He talked about how Elvis Presley and the Beatles all went through the school system and nobody suspected that they were good at singing. Do you think that's rather remarkable, Imogen? <laughs> I think it is, and I think that the people who taught them were probably very surprised afterwards. Yes, Ken Robinson's always a very funny speaker, and the way he said it, he said this particular teacher had two of the Beatles in his class. Wow, he just didn't realise. And apparently Elvis Presley was refused entry into a singing group they didn't think that he had the skills necessary that they wanted. <laughs> it makes you look back, I suppose, and those teachers probably think, wow, how did we miss that? So children can go through the school system and nobody might suspect that a child has particular talents. I also think that the child, him or herself, might not suspect that they have talents. Yes? Yeah, I think so. Because I went through the school system and I didn't think I had any talents whatsoever. I thought I was rather ordinary. And of course, we know that all kids are amazing, don't we? Yes. Every child has a talents. But I didn't feel that way. I just felt that I was, as I said, very ordinary. Unremarkable. Nobody suspected I had any talents, and I didn't suspect it either. But since leaving school, I have discovered, yes, I have talents. And I've been able to develop them and use them. School isn't a very good environment for nurturing talents. I was too busy at school fulfilling other people's expectations and requirements to have time to explore the things that I was interested in. I mean, I didn't even have time to find out what I was good at. You understand that? Yes. Do you think a lot of homeschools are the same? I think that there are a fair amount of them who are the same because a lot of homeschoolers base what they do on the school system so it is literally school at home and if you base your education off the education system then the values of the education system which value science and maths and things that will lead you into a very safe career path they're going to be fairly evident in your homeschooling as well and that doesn't always create the greatest environment for a child even at home, to work out what it is they're interested in and what they're passionate about and what their talents are. Your parents want their kids 
to be able to go off into adulthood and have a good career, don't they? They need to be able to earn their own money, support themselves. And so all their efforts are directed at this outcome. Yes? Yes. So how do we provide a child with the right environment so that she does discover her talents? There's several things that go into it, I think. And the first is accepting that anything can be a talent and everything is va- is valuable because people tend to value certain things. So people value you know, being book smart or being really good at maths or really interested in science. And that's what people tend to value a lot. That's what we're taught to value. But children can be passionate about and can be really interested in a lot of things um, apart from that. And you've got to accept that everything that a that a child could be interested in is a valuable pursuit. So value what your child values. Exactly. I mean, your child might be really interested in playing computer games. That doesn't make it any less valid than somebody who's really interested in doing advanced mathematics. But before a child actually finds an interest, they've got to have time to explore, don't they? Yes, you, you need to have time to explore and time not to confine yourself to something if you do find that you're interested in. A certain area. So I didn't have much time growing up to find my passions. I was too busy doing schoolwork. Yeah, that's the problem with school. You go to school for so many hours and then you come home and you do homework for so many hours and in the middle of there you attempt to have some sort of life. Where is the, where is the time for you to find out what you're passionate about? The other day Sophie was saying to me how thankful she is that she can do the things that she enjoys doing at any hour of the day. She doesn't have to wait like school kids or homeschool children who are doing structured learning for the afternoon to arrive. She can just get up and do them and she doesn't have to wait till everything else has been done before she can dive into the things that she really likes doing. Yeah, can you yes. understand that? And I think sometimes we do feel that our interests and our passions aren't seen as valuable because they have to be squeezed into whatever time's left over. They, they can't be the main focus of our day, which I think is rather ridiculous sometimes. It is, considering it's your life and your passions and it's going to be what you do in the future. That's what Sophie says. The things that she wants to base her career on are the things that she's interested in now, like her photography. So shouldn't they be the things that she should be working on now? Well, you would think so, yes. Yes. I mean, she might change her mind. She's pretty keen on photography, isn't she? But as you were saying to me earlier, that children's passions do come and go, yes? Yes. I think that's one of the things. Everybody expects children to know exactly what they're going to do for the rest of their lives so early. I mean, you can be 10 years old and someone's going to say, what are you going to be when you grow up? Most 10-year-olds don't have an idea of what they're going to be when they grow up. Or they have an idea and they want And, you know, six years down the track... They want to be something completely different. Children need to have time to explore what they're interested in, work on their passions, and if their ideas of what they want to do change, that's okay too. They shouldn't tie them down too early. I was was thinking about passions changing. Maybe some parents would be glad that a passion does change. Perhaps a child is too interested in computers as far as a parent is concerned. Maybe they will move on to something else. Maybe they won't, but, <laughs> you know, yes, it doesn't always mean that whatever a child is doing at the moment is what they want to do for the rest of their lives. 
And that's sort of another thing about creating the conditions for a child to find their talents and passions is that you've got to accept that a child, what a child is interested in might change over the course of their life and probably will. I mean, there's no point in trying to prepare a child at six years old for what they want to, to do then if at age 15 they want to do something completely different. Don't tie them down too early. But also at age 15 they still have time to change because you did. Yes, I was changing ideas of what I wanted to do right up until the point I actually enrolled in university because for quite a while, actually, I wanted to go and do medicine. And I'm certainly not doing medicine now, and I certainly didn't do a degree in medicine, but I didn't change my mind about that until I actually went to enrol for the degree. For a couple of years or so, you had that idea of doing medicine, didn't you? Because you were so interested in it at the time that you decided to do the prerequisites for it. Yes, I did everything. I did maths, I was looking at physics, I was doing science, I was covering all the subjects that I thought I was going to need to do medicine. And you chose to do those because you thought that would help you get onto the course? Yes, so I wasn't made to do advanced maths. I did, I did all the maths, I did all the way through year 12, I did everything, even the bits I wasn't interested in because I thought that was what I would do. And then... At the same time, though, you were doing other things like your writing and your music, weren't you? Yes, because those, those were sort of things I really enjoyed doing and I was I didn't want to give those up just because I was preparing to do medicine. So I kept up with those in the meantime. So you can have more than one passion? A child can have more than one passion? Oh, yes. And when it came to the time to think about enrolling and applying to do medicine, you just said you changed your mind. Why? Mostly because... I actually stopped and thought about it, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll go and do medicine, yes, and I'll be a doctor, yes, but what kind of doctor? Where will I work? Will I be in a hospital? Will I be a, will I just be a normal GP? You know, is this something I could imagine myself doing for the rest of my life? I sat there and went, no, oh, it's not. This is a stupid idea. I guess that when you tell people that you were thinking of applying for medicine, people were very encouraging. Yes, it's one of those career paths that as soon as you say, oh, I'm going to do medicine, oh, that's a great idea, you know, we need more doctors, it's a, it's a really safe thing to do, you can make lots of money, whatever. And then when I changed and said, oh, I'm going to do writing, that all changed. Everyone was really enthusiastic about being a doctor or whatever. And the moment you say, I want to make writing my career, oh, there's no money in writing, oh, if you can't make a living out of that, no one's going to publish anything. If you, if you have to do writing, you should go into journalism. I mean, I know such and such a person who went into journalism and she did really well. And it's like, well, I'm sure, I'm sure that's all va valid points, but that's what I want to do. So I sometimes think that if a child does medicine, a parent can sit back and think, well, they did the best they could. A child has to get good grades to do medicine, right? Yes. And so they've come through the system and have done very, very well, and everybody congratulates you. And in some ways, there's a bit of glory getting into university to go and do medicine, isn't there? Yes. You might get applauded for it, and you, you're a very intelligent person, and nobody will complain about that. Yeah? Oh, no. And so that type of high academic career is very valuable. And maybe there are children who will get the high marks necessary to do medicine, but choose not to do medicine 
and choose to do something else. And if you ever heard people say, you should have done medicine because you had the right marks for it, you had the intelligence to do it, and you have chosen second best because you have chosen to do, say, the arts. Do you understand that? Yes, yes, I have actually had someone say that once. So arts is a more lowly profession. Uh, everyone, everyone knows that if you go and do an arts degree at university, basically people are expecting you to go and do something useful on top of it because people say arts is one of those degrees you do if you don't know what you want to do with your life. The arts as a career or even as a study path is not really considered valuable in its own right. It's seen as a stepping stone to something more important. You might do an arts degree and then go into teaching, you know, do a master's of teaching afterwards. Or you might do an arts degree while you work out what useful degree it is you want to do. Instead of an arts degree being the end game. I mean, I have an arts degree and I don't really plan at this point to go and do something that people consider useful because that was what I wanted to do. So you've got a Bachelor of Arts in Professional Writing and Publishing, haven't you? I do. So you got onto that course and you did very well. And now you have this degree. And then what happened when you got the degree? People said, what do they say to you once you got it? What are you going to do next? Yes, what are you going to do next? You know, Where are you going to work? Are you going to get a job? And at that point, I'd been through three years of university. I'd had a lot of time to think about what I wanted to do with writing. I was like, well... I don't want to do another another degree and I don't particularly want to go and work for someone. I want to work as a writer for myself. This is what I want to do. And again, it's one of those things that people don't value as much because it's not safe. You're not you're not getting a regular paycheck. You're not you're not rolling up to work under someone's employ every day. Well, that makes me think of how parents can push their children towards presumably safe careers, right? Yes. And we're thinking about years ahead while we're doing this. But we don't know what the future is going to be like. What sort of jobs are going to be available when our children actually get to adulthood? You agree? Exactly. So I think that some of the jobs that we think are safe and secure at the moment are actually going to disappear or be in short supply in the future because the world is changing very much. And to balance that, a lot of opportunities are going to open up that we don't realize yeah, exactly. I mean, the world now is very different. It's a very different world from when you were my age, and there are lots of different opportunities. I mean, jobs that people were taking for granted before, you know, they're disappearing. But a lot of other jobs are opening up, especially like self-employed jobs. I mean, say for for example, writing is very different now to what it was before. Even even up to a few years ago, the only way you could get published was to have a publishing house accept your work, and there's a lot of writing that didn't that doesn't get accepted by publishing houses. They're not willing to take a risk. There are too too many. They're already publishing too many books. There's a lot of factors that go into it, and getting a publisher to say yes, I will publish your book, is a very difficult thing. But it's not the only way anymore. I mean, you can do self-publishing now if you're willing to put in the hard work, and make your work professional standard up to, you know, what a publishing house would do or better, then you can make your own career out of self-publishing. And it used to be one of those things where it was plan B or you couldn't get published by a publishing house, so you went and did it yourself and it's a substandard thing or whatever. But actually, even highly acclaimed authors 
who have been, you know, published with publishing houses multiple times are choosing to self-publish now. And it's opening up as a new way for pe- for writers to work. And that's just one example of the way things have changed. So the whole publishing industry has changed dramatically. Yes, but you know, several years ago you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have thought this. And certainly not when I was at school and I did like writing and nobody encouraged that. And if I had decided for myself that I was going to go along that arts pathway regardless of what everybody else was telling me around me, I would have been told that there wouldn't be much chance of getting a book published. But even so, I still think that I should have been encouraged to follow my dreams because there were still people who were being published. Oh, yes. I could have been one of those people. Yes? You can never say to a person, you you can't make a success of this because how do you know if Elvis Presley and the Beatles in school were saying, oh, we want to do music. We we think we would be great as musicians. And someone said, oh, no. Nobody makes a career out of music. It's too hard. You, you, you haven't got the right talents. Look at them now. Well, some people must have the right talents, mustn't they? How do you know that you are not the one person that will be successful? You've, you've got to be allowed to go out there and try. Yes. But as you said, things are so different now. Anybody can have a go at self-publishing, can't they? It doesn't mean that you're going to be successful, but everybody has more opportunities. It's one of those things now. You, there's more opportunities in a lot of areas where you don't have to wait for someone to tell you, yes, you can do this. You can just you can do it yourself. There's a, so so much more opportunity to follow your dreams and your talents than there was before. So you did your degree, and at the same time you continued to study music, didn't you? Yes, I mean, music was one of those other things I was very interested interested in, and I did a lot of. I mean, I was singing in two choirs, I was doing piano and singing exams, I was performing. It was just one of those things that I thought, well, I don't really want to give it up. I did ask you at the time, when you did apply for that writing degree, if you would prefer to do a music degree, and at the time you said no, you didn't want to go into teaching, that's what you thought you would have to do if you did a degree? Yeah, that was sort of, at that point, the only career path I could see open for me. I mean, I always did classical music, that's where I'm trained, that's the area I'm most familiar in. But as a classical musician, all I could see myself doing was either performing as part of a a choir or a musical ensemble or teaching and well I couldn't see myself getting into one of those performing jobs Um, and I I certainly didn't want to be a teacher I mean I teach the girls and that's fine but as a career that wasn't that was not what I ever wanted to do I couldn't see myself teaching children day in day out for the rest of my life but I always had this idea in the back of my mind that you should develop your talents in some further in some way in music and occasionally I would say to you things like you should think about music <laughs> yes you remember yes and I do remember not so long ago when you got an exam result you came home and you got an A plus and you told me what the examiner had said she said that you had a talent and you should use it didn't she did she, she say anything did. else um, she said that she doesn't normally say that to all the students, and it sort of it sort of brought it home that that was something special. I mean, I never really thought much about being a musician, as in a performing musician, because it didn't seem to be one of those things that was possible. I mean, apart from 
the performance, the classical music performance things that I had thought of before and rejected. I didn't know what else I could do. But sort of that and the fact that, you know, I kept being reminded, oh, you should do something with music. And the fact that I kept doing music myself sort of made me think, well, is there something I can do? Is there a way to do music that I would enjoy? And that sort of got me thinking about it. And then it was actually YouTube that changed my mind about wanting to do music because YouTube is a place full of creative people making a a career out of doing things that most people wouldn't have thought about doing. I was, you know, on YouTube, I was watching videos, I was following people, and I was finding all these musicians who were making a career out of being an independent musician, making their own music, making covers, selling CDs, making a real career out of it for themselves. And it was so different, and it was something no one had ever told me I could do before. But it was there, and these people were sharing how they did it, and, you know, things, ways to do it, places to look for resources to help you, and it was all of a sudden, this was a thing that could happen. It was one of those things that you could do, it was a possibility. And it really appealed to me as a way to do music. And I had people who thought I should do music, people who thought I was good enough, and I just sort of sort of thought, well, I could do this. Why don't I give it a go? And that's what you've been doing, isn't yep. it? So we encouraged you to have a go at making your own music videos. Yes, and now you have your YouTube channel, Imogen Elvis. So spending time on YouTube isn't a waste of time, is it? <laughs> no, you can, you can certainly learn a lot from people on there. You can get lots of inspiration, a lot of ideas from YouTube, yes? Yes. Unconventional, though. Yes. It's certainly not the usual pathway. It's not what people expect you to do, not at all. So what do you think that your peers, people that you have grown up with, people that you've known for a long time, and there you are on YouTube, what do you think they think about that? I think they probably find it quite surprising. I mean, not only for the fact that YouTube is, as a career path, is um, so new an idea, but also because I don't think people ever saw me going in that direction. I, I don't know whether they ever saw me as that sort of person. You are very much like me. You were introverts, aren't we? Yes. You get together at a party and we're very quiet. We're not the popular ones. We're not the ones that are involved in all the great conversations. We don't have the huge personalities you know, in group settings that'll, that'll make us stand out to people. I mean, when I was younger and doing music in you know, groups and we'd have a group of people around... I might have had a bit of talent and I might have been fairly good, but because I didn't have the personality, no one really thought of it. People people with personality really get noticed. So no one, no one considers what the quiet ones can do. I always remember when we went to camp oh, many years ago and there was a musical. Remember the nuns were directing you all in a musical? Yes. Everybody got a part. Gilbert and Sullivan. I can't, which one was it? It was probably the one set in Venice. Um, the gondoliers. And during camp, for five days, the nuns directed and taught the children. And on the last evening of camp, the children put on a performance of the gondoliers. That was it, wasn't it? Yes. So you had to learn all the songs and all the words and everything. And it was a condensed version, wasn't it? A very simplified version, concentrating on a few songs and a bit of action with a narrator to fill in all the gaps. Yes. It was a lot of fun. 
And because you're a singer and older sister Felicity was, and Duncan was isn't a singer, but he's an actor, isn't he? Yes, you put him on a stage. He's actually very good, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't tell it. After the performance of The Gondoliers, I had so many parents come up to me and say, well, we didn't know that your children could do that because you're all rather quiet in company. Yes. But put you on a stage, put you in the right environment, and your talents are visible so that you can sing. And Duncan was very animated as the act, acting his part, wasn't he? Yes. He was a different person on stage, and you were all very different as well. So sometimes people have surprising talents that you don't suspect. Yes, it's not, it's not always obvious what a person's talent is. And I guess that brings us back to the school system. If you were all in school, maybe those talents wouldn't have been developed. No, because especially for the quiet ones, if you're not in the right environment for it, it's not going to come out. People are not going to realise what you're good at, what you're passionate about. And if they're inclined to be encouraging, they won't know what to encourage you in. Now, earlier you were talking to me about attitude to learning, how you think that a child's attitude to learning is really much more important than what they actually know. Yes, definitely. Some children are good at learning and some children aren't, and you can teach children the same thing and they can have all this knowledge about science and maths, whatever, and they may never use it. And you might waste years teaching them something that they're never going to use. But learning doesn't stop with school. And things change over the years. I, I think it's actually more important to teach children to love learning and to be curious and to investigate things that they're interested in so that they can follow what they're interested in and they will always love learning and be interested in learning for the rest of their lives because you can't predict where the future is going to be. But if a child has the right values towards learning and trying things, then they can make a success of anything. So do you think it's important that a child knows exactly what she wants to do by the time she's got to 18? No. I think that if a child knows what they want to do when they get to 18, that's great. But not every child is going to know that. Not every child is ready to know that. And it's never too late to change what your mind as to what you want to do or to discover what, what it is that you truly want to do. People have this idea that Children need to know things by certain ages and be grown up at a certain age, be ready to leave home at a certain age. You reach 18, you're supposed to be independent, know where you want to go and be ready to leave home. But the truth is that not every child is ready for that. I mean, school is standardised and it doesn't suit everybody. Why do we have standardised markers for every, for every child? We, we all grow up at different rates. We all have different ideas at different points. A person doesn't know what they want to do at 18, it's not the end of the world. Maybe they need to go out and discover themselves. I mean, it sounds cliche, but if, especially if they're coming from the school system, maybe they need time to live life, discover what it is they're interested in, have time to look at their passions and the kinds of things they like to do and work out what it is maybe they like to do as a career for the rest of their lives. But 18, just because you don't know what you want to do at 18, doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the child or that a parent has failed in their duty. It just means that the child is not ready yet to make the, this big decision. I think that parents feel a lot of pressure to prepare their children for something at 18, that they feel society expects them to have prepared their child for their future life 
you know, push them out the door, or they're all set, off they go. And it, as the years go by and they get, a child gets closer to 18, a parent gets more and more worried if their child doesn't look like she knows where she wants to go. Yeah, and I think that sort of pressure is why people have trouble with teens. Because you reach your teens and all of a sudden people are expecting you to know what you want to do, to be responsible, to be grown up, to be independent. All of a sudden you've gone from being a child to everybody expects you to be an adult. And being a teenager, you're not always ready to do that. You need time and you really, really do want to have time and space to learn and develop and grow as a person and not be expected to be ready to go at 18. So do you feel that you were under pressure yourself or did you have the space to be who you are and to take it in your own time? The only time I ever felt pressure was from people outside the family when they asked questions like, you know, what are you going to study at uni when I was 15, 16? What do you want to be when you grow up from, you know, as early as 10? In the family, there wasn't pressure. There wasn't really any expectation that we had to know what we were doing at any one point. We just sort of had time to explore what it was that we were enjoying doing and to do that. I think we're doing things totally differently to most families, aren't we? You have done your degree and the next stage everybody expected you to dive into a secure career. Go and get a job, get a house, leave home. That was, That's the expected path after getting a degree. And you're 21 now. You know, you're, you're getting old. I know. I'm a terrible old person. I'm 21 and I'm still living at home with my mum. How sad is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what everybody thinks. But I think that that's all right. I think that we do feel too pressured to do what everybody else thinks. And I have different ideas about this, don't we? We both have different ideas about this, don't we? Oh, yes. I think that if you stay home and we continue to work together, you can follow your dreams, or at least have an attempt at following your dreams, yes? Exactly. If if I followed the usual path and I went degree, career, leave home, be independent, there's no space in there for following any dream that doesn't follow a safe career path. And my dreams don't. I want to write. I want to write books. I want to be a musician. So I've got to build an audience. I've got to build a following. I've got to, I've got to grow as a musician. I've got to get out there and do things, but I'm not going to be an instant success. There's no instant paycheck coming in. And unless you've got support behind you, you can't do these things. It's just, it's just a fact. I'm not making money at the moment. So without having family to support me, I couldn't do this because I wouldn't be able to live. And we have to trust you as your parents that this pathway is the right one for you. We yes. have to believe in you. Yes. I think even if you don't make a financial success of being an online musician, say, the whole experience won't be a waste. No, no, no experience is ever a waste. It'll lead to something else, yes? Everything we do, we don't look back and say, look, that was a waste of time, I went down the wrong pathway there. I think one thing does lead to another. We take something from that experience, maybe another opportunity will come along or we have another idea, but... Even though you're not earning any money at the moment from this, it still is a very valuable experience. And when I say we trust you, you don't have to prove that in earning a lot of money from this experience, do you? I hope not. <laughs> but we'd like you to, because this is what you'd like to do. Yes. It doesn't, it's not dependent on you becoming a, a financial success. 
money isn't everything when it comes to this sort of thing. We're not going to say, look, we'll give you so many months, and if you're not supporting yourself by this, at you go. <laughs> Thankfully. I think also you're con contributing to the family as well. We're helping you, but you're also helping us. You're teaching the girls music. I would have to employ outside mu music teachers if you weren't around. You do your fair share of supporting the family, helping out. You're our cook, aren't you? Yes. You drive to keep the girls' places. Uh, you are somebody valuable in our family. We love having you here. And I'm just thankful that you don't want to rush out the door and say, I can't wait to leave home. I'm going off to make my own life. That you actually like being here. Yeah. <laughs> like being part of our family unit. You know, that that is something to be thankful for, isn't it? It is. There'll be many, many years when you won't be here. It'll arrive far too soon. But at the moment, I'm really happy that we still have you here. And I'm certainly really happy to be here. So it sounds like you've always had lots of interests and passions growing up, yes? Yes. And it was really just a case of narrowing down which passion or interest you wanted to follow as your degree because you felt like you wanted to do further study. Yes. And you, you changed your mind from medicine to writing and you've also picked up music along the way. Yes. You've got a couple of passions that you're exploring. That's all very well, but what would you say to the mother who says, my child doesn't have any interests? Well, the first thing I would say is, are you sure? Are you sure that what they're interested in isn't just something that you're writing off because it doesn't seem to be something that's valuable or doesn't really seem to be something that a child should be following? Because a child can be interested in a lot of things. They could have talents and passions but you might not recognise them for what they are. So that would be the very first thing I would say. What if they don't have any visible interests? Maybe they just want to sit in front of the TV all day. Yeah, that's what they want to do. And can you say that their interest is TV? Or do you think that they just haven't discovered anything that they're really passionate about at the moment? Could be either. Could be that they're interested in TV, in which case they might end up being interested in something to do with TV. They could, be, they could end up interested in writing scripts or producing something. You can't write that off, but at the same time, it also could be that they watch TV a lot because they don't have anything else they know what to do. You could, you could say to them, stop watching TV so much and go and do something. They go, well, I don't know what to do. I'm bored. I've got nothing to do. It's, they don't know what they're interested in. They don't know where to start because there are so many things you can be interested in, so many things you can try out. Where do you begin? It's like I always say, you can't say to a child, go learn something. What, what do you learn? There's so much out there to learn. Where do you start? Exactly. They've got to be shown some possibilities, maybe. Yes. I think TV is valuable because you do learn a lot from watching TV. And I've heard stories of children who sat in front of the TV for hours and hours and hours growing up and then went on to some career or other. And this was their way of learning. Yes? Yeah. Just they were visual learners, I suppose. That was their way of learning. But I suppose a parent might be worried that their child isn't getting a balance. Too much time in front of the TV means they're not actually doing a lot of other things. And there's a lot of other valuable things to do, isn't there? Oh, yes, there certainly are. So did you ever sit in front of the TV all day as a child? Not really. I mean, we were allowed to watch TV. And I can certainly remember when I was much younger, we used to watch cartoons in the afternoons so we'd watch play school we'd watch you know all those cartoons whatever was on back then i don't even remember 
But we sort of stopped simply because we didn't find it that interesting. Watching TV for us was you have to be there at a certain time and you've got to drop whatever else you're doing and be in front of that TV at 3.30 when play school comes on. And 3.30 rolls around and you're outside and you're in the middle of a great game and all of a sudden you've got to throw everything in the box and be in front of a TV. And in the end, we, we just decided, well, it's more fun outside playing TV. We'll just skip it today. And it, we never formed a habit of it because we were too busy doing other things. I stopped calling you in because I thought, look, what's the point of calling you in to sit in front of the TV when you're involved in such a great game out there? Obviously, you weren't missing the TV. And we ended up not watching any, did you? Yeah. Uh, Sophie and Jim Rose don't even know about the existence of a lot of children's television programs because they were too busy playing. But yeah, as you said, there was far more exciting things to do than watch TV. So it never became an issue, did it? No, it didn't for us. It didn't become a habit. And we never watched TV in the morning. I never turned it on in the morning. We were always too busy doing other things as well. I guess one of the things I never did was use TV as a babysitter. We, we sort of never needed that. The way we did things was that we never actually needed to be babysat if we weren't doing things with a parent or an older sibling. We were just often playing. I mean, mum might be working with one group of people and we might be doing something independently or looking after whoever was the baby or the toddler at the time. We didn't need to be sat down in front of something the way it all worked out for us. I think you used to spend a lot of time playing. Yes, a lot of time playing. <laughs> and the baby, when the baby became a toddler, she was anxious to go and join in the games. Yeah, we just incorporated her in. There was no problem there. Because I remember you used to play those big little House on the Prairie games. <laughs> yes. And you used to make the toddler the baby in the story. Yes, yes. And I remember Gemma Rose getting up on the cart and being quite happy to be part of the game. And you spend hours and hours, even days and days, playing Little House on the Prairie. So play was thought of as a valuable experience. Yes, I mean, some, some days, if we, were, if we were really lucky, we'd go out in the middle of the morning, we'd have our morning tea, take our cup of Milo outside, then we just wouldn't come back. <laughs> and we'd just play all day. The same thing inside, too. I can remember Barbie games going on for days and days and days. Yes, and someone would say, oh, you should clean your room. It's like, no, we can't. We're right in the middle of this great game. We can't possibly put it away. So maybe when parents are worried about their children doing things, they are actually doing things. They're playing. But yes. the play isn't seen as valuable. Yes. I mean, play the way we did it and certainly the way most children do it, it's a very creative thing. It requires a lot of imagination. You know, it actually uses a lot more skills than you think and as far as learning it's a, it's a lot more valuable than you would think I mean especially like we used to base our games a lot on whatever we were learning as well so I can remember we were learning about the American Civil War and we, and we went outside and we played with muskets and so I'd read you a book say out loud this is where we came from Little House in the Prairie wasn't it yes we did a lot of reading out loud so I'd read the book and then you'd all disappear outside go to the garage and find a few props, and then you spend the rest of the day playing Little House in the Prairie. Yes. But even if you're not playing something based off what you're learning, all play is valuable. And certainly for me, when, when we played, we were very, very creative. That helped me be a creative thinker. I mean, the two things I'm working in, writing and musician, are both very creative fields. 
And I was encouraged to be creative early on and think creatively. And that sort of thinking, being allowed to do that, has sort of really helped later on. And creative thinking is very important in everything, I think. So maybe a lot of parents feel that they ought to be presenting other experiences to their children. Playing isn't valuable enough. They ought to be involving them in projects. Something is a bit more impressive because play is play, but projects and workbooks and lap books and all these sort of things do look very impressive, don't they? <laughs> they look very impressive. Putting them together, however, slightly less impressive experience. Yes, we tried a couple of uh, books, didn't we? Putting together a few, what are they, study unit books. Victorian England is the one that sticks out in my mind. I've, I distinctly remember putting together a huge book for that. And they do look good as far as education goes. You can show them to people and say, look, my children are producing this, that and the other. And it looks good. And maybe a parent feels they ought to be providing those sort of opportunities for their children. But I think that free play and creative pursuits that are directed by children are much more valuable. Yes, I think so. I mean, it's all very well and good doing the projects and things, and they, and they look great. But a child is going to remember what they're playing and having fun and being allowed to learn and grow so much better than, they, than they're going to remember whatever they put in that project book. I think it's the difference between finding all these wonderful craft projects from Pinterest say, and setting it all up on the table for your children and just providing a whole range of materials and letting your children get into it and do whatever they like. Go wild. Go wild. Maybe even getting in there and going wild yourself. Yeah, doing it with them. But not having these expectations that you've got to produce something that's worthy of putting on the internet, taking a photo of and putting it on the internet. I certainly know that when I was younger, nothing I made ever looked like it was going to go on Pinterest foam and cardboard creation that's fallen to pieces or a, a play-doh game it's not exactly photo worthy but it is good fun but i think that's another pressure that parents have these days especially if they're on say facebook or, blo or blogging is that you've got to produce lovely photos of things that your children are doing so that you can pin them or you can show people this is what my child has done you know look at it look, look how good it is and then some parents feel they're not doing enough or they're, they're failing because their children aren't as good as that. Yes. yes. We're all competing against each other. It's sort, of, it's sort of a mindset of perfectionism, I think. But it's perfectionism to do with children and what the children are doing rather than what you're doing yourself. And having that sort of attitude is actually really stifling. I mean, I know a, a younger musician and she has two incredibly musical parents. They are some of the best musicians I've ever met. And she's very musical herself. But I was talking to her once and she said that when she was younger and doing music, her parents had such high expectations for what she was doing that she never felt what she was doing was enough. That she never felt she was good enough. And for a long time she didn't actually like doing music because she was expected to do so well at it and to be so good. And when she did things that weren't perfect... But it didn't feel valuable enough. Whereas a child with less musical parents gets a lot of encouragement and support and it doesn't matter whether it's perfect, it's the fact that they're doing it and they're trying really hard and they're working on it, that's the valuable thing. So something that looks really good and that can be shown around a lot and that's perfect, you know, Pinterest-worthy, is not always the most valuable thing to a child. 
I think in some ways, parents put other people above their children when they do things like that. Yes, I think so. They want to look good in the eyes of other people. And so what their children are doing is not good enough? Yes. So let's go back to the play. You did lots and lots of free play as children, but there did come a time when some of those interests you were felt you wanted to go and pursue on your own, yes? Yes. So that kids aren't going to play outside Little House on the Prairie forever, are they? Well, I'm not outside playing Little House <laughs> on the Prairie anymore, so... <laughs> you did become motivated to go and read your own books, to go and research yourself, to get involved in other things, to pick up on other opportunities that I was offering you. So if I said, do you want to come and watch this movie? Would you like to watch a Shakespeare play with me? These are all things that you would like to do? Yes. I think little kids like to go on outings as well. And bigger kids do too, don't Oh yes, they? everyone likes to go on an outing. Well, you're 21, you're still, <laughs> still coming out on picnics. So that's another way where parents can spend time with their children away from the TV. Yeah? Yes. So do you think that you would rather sit in front of the TV or do something with a parent? Uh, there's no question about it. I would go and do something with a parent, and I frequently have. So sometimes I... Well, it's not TV in our family, is it? It's computers. Yes. We don't watch hardly any TV, but we certainly spend a lot of time on the computer. It's another big issue, isn't it? Some people think that's just as bad as TV. But if I got up and said, look, I'm going to go to the library, or I'm going to walk up the road and buy ice cream, or anything really, you'd all jump up and follow me, wouldn't you? Can you hear those laptop lids closing yet? <laughs> yes. So spending time with each other comes above spending time alone with a TV or a computer. Yes. But of course, we can join in with TV and computer things, can't we? And there's nothing wrong with a parent sitting down on the sofa next to a child watching the TV and asking them about the program, watching it with them, discussing it with them later. Sharing things. I mean, I do a lot of things that aren't on the computer and the TV, as well as things that are there. But I always like to share things with parents as well, like, it's one of our things that we'll watch TV shows with Dad in the evening sometimes. Or I'll do things on the computer with Mum. We'll share things there. And they're things that we're all interested in. And there is a balance coming off the computer to do things, but also going on and doing things together. I think you can have a healthy balance of both without saying computer or TV is bad. So I had a question from somebody about coping with multiple aged kids. Did we cover that, do you think? How do you think we coped when we had multiple aged kids? I think that we have touched on it in a certain way, is that because we don't have structured learning, you don't feel that you have to see to every child doing this workbook and that workbook, this this project that you want them to do, that type of thing. There's not so many expectations. But yes, there are times when you do want to spend time with each child, aren't there? Yes. And you have to make time for each child. How did we cope or how do we cope? The ways we've coped in the past with lots of younger children, because we don't have that now, is, well, really, the other children would help. If mum needed to spend time with one or two of the children, the rest of us might take the toddler and play with blocks in the corner or we would have an we might have an interest of our own to follow or we might simply go and play some something for a bit, depending on how the day was going or how we felt at the moment. I think it's not putting too many expectations. We've got to get this done, that done, and this 
other thing done today, but to go with the flow maybe and value all the experiences in the day, regardless of whether they look educational. Less pressure on everybody, really. But as I said, the toddler was quite happy to go off and play <laughs> with the bigger kids, and that was never really a problem, was it? No, because it was just something we did. We, we knew that, well, if someone needed to look after the toddler, yeah, it was perfectly fine for us to let the toddler join in. I always remember when I spent some time doing some work, you remember Father Jim and his website? Yes. And Dad and I were setting up a website for somebody, and I had a lot of work to do with that, but Gemma Rose was a baby at the time, and I do remember the boys taking Gemma Rose outside and swinging her on the swings and chatting together while they did it for hours at a time. They used to do that for me, give me free time for myself, but they were quite happy to do that, and she loved it. They having her big brothers all to herself. But they used to make it a bit of fun. I think they used to talk about all sorts of things, have adventures in their heads while they were swinging yes. us. And it was never a problem, was it? No, it wasn't. Maybe it's all to do with enjoying spending time together and caring about each other and being willing to help each other out, maybe. So have we talked about everything, Imogen, that we were planning on talking about? I think we covered pretty much everything. So, let's just sum up a bit. Talents don't always just appear, do they? No, they frequently need the right environment for people to discover what their talents and passions are. And you can create that environment. You, at least you can create a, an environment more conducive to this. And parents have to value the talents that do develop, the interests that children have. Yes, you can't pick and choose between what is valuable and what is not. Every talent and every interest is as valuable as any of the others. And they should trust that if a child follows her interests and passions, even if a parent can't visualize the outcome, they should trust that the child is going in the direction that they should be going in, also knowing that we don't know what the future will hold and what opportunities will come along. Exactly. You can never predict what's going to happen. You can only prepare children's attitudes and values towards learning and life. And if children don't appear to have any interests and passions, then we can encourage them to discover some. Yes. I think it's just providing a nice, rich environment, spending time together with children, taking the pressure off. Giving them time to learn and grow without too many expectations. Just enjoying life together, I think. Yes. Playing, doing things that are enjoyable with your children. And interests will appear and children will be motivated to go and find out more, especially if they're supported in those interests. Yes, I think so. Provide resources, encouragement, and interest, and children will just get there, won't they? They will. And passions will change. And not to get too worried if it appears to you that a child hasn't settled upon their passion by the time they get to 18. Yes. It's never too late. No. And I do think over our lifetimes... Our passions do change. We go from one thing to another. Yes. It's just a natural progression. You I read, learn and you grow. I was listening to a podcast the other day and somebody said that he reckons that every person has three career changes in their lives. So that's quite exciting, isn't it? To think that there are so many other things out there that one day you might be interested in. That's right. To think that you've decided at 18 what you want to do for the rest of your life. Wow, it doesn't sound very exciting, does it? <laughs> what if you, thinking that way, what if you choose wrong? Exactly. But it's never too late. 
never too late to change. Exactly. And we know that because Dad changed his career midlife, didn't he? He did. And he's doing all right, but he might change it again. Who knows? I think that it's just so many opportunities that it would be sad to think that we're finished. Yes. And before we finish, Imogen, tell me a little bit about your Facebook page. Because we created a Facebook page for you just over a week ago, didn't we? Yes, we did. Suddenly had this idea. How's it going? It's going much better than I could have hoped, actually. Um, people have been lovely and supportive. And for a beginning Facebook page, I feel it's going really well. So you're appreciating everybody's interest in your page? Oh, yes. <laughs> so what are you posting on your page? I'm posting photos and updates about things I'm doing and things that I'm interested in to do with music and that sort of thing. Um, videos that I've made, videos that other people have made, things that I'm doing in my life in case people are interested in keeping up in that side, keeping up with that side of things. And yeah, generally things to do with music and what I'm doing. So what are your plans for your next music video? So the next music video is actually going to be a very special one. Um, I'm collaborating with my three younger sisters and we're all going to do a song together. So what song's that? We're going to do Wild Child by Enya. So when's that coming out? Hopefully, all being well, and if the weather stays nice, next week. But it's all very dependent on the weather at the moment. You said where the weather stays nice. The weather isn't very nice at the moment. It's actually <laughs> wild. I saw about five minutes of sun. It almost counts. We had a wild weekend, didn't we? Yes, loads and loads of rain, high winds, the roads all flooded, trees were falling down everywhere. We had a whole day without electricity yesterday, didn't we? Yes. We were going to record this yesterday, but no electricity, no internet. That's why we're doing it today, which is Monday instead of Sunday when we planned. So, yes, the wind is roaring out there still. Just hope we don't lose the power again. <laughs> yes. I can't imagine filming this music video in a couple of days' time. I think the ground is still going to be flooded. We might have to be a bit creative about this one. Yes, and work pretty quickly too, I think. Because we're planning to go back down to the nature reserve where the river is, isn't it? Yes, I can only imagine what the river looks like at the moment. I'm imagining something about three times the size it was last time we were down there. I imagine that the nature reserve might have disappeared, actually, <laughs> become part of the river, and the tree that you're planning to stand under and record your music video might be in a pool of water. It is very possible. Anyway, I think the weir would look wonderful. Oh, yes. There'll be lots and lots of water passing over the top of it. So we'll have to go down there and have a look. And see. Yes, investigate. But that's the plans. So after you created your Facebook page, I republished my Facebook page, didn't I? Yes. So I didn't really know why I did that. But yeah, I like my Facebook page. And now that's public again. So I want to invite everybody to come over to my page, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I've been posting lots of resources and ideas and all sorts of things there, videos on that page, all the resources that I find and interesting facts and figures and a bit of conversation. So I hope people will come over and have a look. Here I am advertising my Facebook page, but I didn't advertise yours. You tell everybody what yours is called. Mine is called Imogen Elvis. And if you're interested at all, I'd love it if you'd come over and like my page as well. So I've got to fight for a bit of attention here. <laughs> Tell everybody about my page. You could come and like both our pages. Follow us both. I had an idea about my Facebook page, Imogen. I was thinking that if I post my podcast on a Monday, for the next few days after that, I could post something on my Facebook page to do with the podcast. 
I think that would be very helpful and interesting. So we could have a talents week. So I could post this today, this evening, I'm hoping, if I get it edited in time. And then for the rest of the week, I could post blog posts or anything else that I can think of that has to do with today's topic. Such as Ken Robertson's TED Talk. That's right. Well, I already posted that particular one um, last week on Friday, I think, but I could find some other ones as well. And then if people are interested, they could come over to my Facebook page and get involved in the conversation. Maybe stop by and comment on something. Maybe follow a link. So we could have a talents week, couldn't we? We could. I'd probably post other things as well, because usually I post at least three times a day. So there's plenty of time to post other things if you're not interested in talents, say. And then when I get my smartphone, because I'm sure I'll get a smartphone sometime, I have this idea that maybe on a Friday we could do a live streaming video and talk about the podcast and anything that has happened in the week to do with the topic. What do you think of that idea? I think that would be a great thing to try out. So if people have some questions or things they want to comment on, I could be there live on a Friday to continue the discussion. Yep, I think so. Well, that's an idea, isn't it? I've got to get the smartphone first. (laughs) But that's one of my ideas, something that could expand what I'm talking about, let other people get involved in the conversation. Well, I think we have come to the end, Imogen. We've probably gone well over time. Just a little bit. Never mind. So I'd like to thank you for joining me today and talking about talents, sharing your experiences and sharing your ideas. I shall probably find something to put in the show notes and you can find those on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I hope that you'll come and visit our Facebook pages. You can find us both on Instagram. You can find us both on YouTube as well. That's right. Sue Elvis and Imogen Elvis. You can find Imogen on Twitter, but you probably won't find me there. <laughs> well, you'll find my profile there, but I don't go over there very often. Anything else? Any other places? I think that's all my places. Just so follow everybody. Of course, you can follow this podcast through iTunes or Podbean or just follow along with my blog, A Stories of an Unschooling Family. It's a lot of following, isn't there? <laughs> People can do a lot of following. Well, I've really enjoyed my conversation, Imogen. I think it's time to say goodbye. So we'll just thank everybody for listening. We hope that what we've had to say is interesting. And please go over to my Facebook page, Stories of an Unschooling Family, if you'd like to comment on anything or to my blog. So I hope everybody has a good week. I hope we get that music video filmed this week. And I'll be back next week with another episode. So until then... Trust, respect, and love unconditionally.